Hello, I'm Lucy. And I'm Michelle. Welcome to the third episode of Tudoriferous, the fortnightly biographical podcast that examines the lives of people living in the Tudor era. This week, Jasper Tudor. A feature we haven't done yet, for reasons that will become apparent, is our quiz. Just five or six questions to test how much we remember from the previous episode. Were we listening? Were we asleep? Were we doing a Sudoku and just saying, hmm, at all the right places? Let's find out. Quiz. Okay, quiz Ooh. time. Let's find okay. out how much Lucy remembers from the last podcast. This is terrifying because <laughs> if I get it wrong, either I'm either I'm stupid. I'm going to feel the same way when you quiz me. <laughs> well, I didn't listen to a word she was saying. <laughs> Okay, let's see how this goes. Okay, number one. At what age was Margaret first married? Uh, four? Five. Oh. Pretty close. I'll give that to you because they can't decide on when her actual birth date was. So it would have been four or five. Okay. Ooh. How old was Margaret when she gave birth to Henry? Thirteen. Yes. Number three. <laughs> in margaret's signature of margaret r what two things could the r have meant richmond mm -hmm. or regina yes or regina or regina or however you want to pronounce it yes number four Ooh. what vow did she take when her son became king well, she took a vow of chastity. I don't know if yes. that was... Oh, right, okay. Yep. <laughs> go with that That's then. That's it. Number five, the last one. Ooh. What did Margaret have Parliament declare her after her son became king? I know she called herself princess, but I'm not sure that's what she had Parliament declare her. No. Ooh, uh... Mm. It's Latin. Ah. <sighs> Oh, yes. Femme Sol. Yes. Yes. Yay, five out of five. Way Woo. to go. <laughs> That's awesome. I was listening. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> okay, on to your episode. Jasper Tudor. I found him a difficult man to get to know, actually. He's elusive both as a man and as a topic for historical research, and there's very little to latch on to. And oh. when I'd finished, I can't honestly say I've got a feeling for the man. But that said, here goes. Okay. <laughs> um, are you sitting comfortably? I am very comfy, yes. Then I'll begin. Thank you. <laughs> Come with me, if you will, to a Welsh cliff top. A man is standing there. Let's give him flowing robes, billowing in the wind. And go on, let's give, go all out and give him a snowy white beard. Also billowing in the wind, perhaps over his shoulder. He stares out to sea with keen searching eyes. Is he waiting for a ship to come in? Is he watching storm clouds rolling in across the ocean? He's doing neither of these things, but he is waiting and dreaming and yearning. Of what does he dream? He dreams of U Mab Darogan, the son of prophecy. Wow. Yes. <laughs> and I would th thank my friend Elaine for any Welsh pronunciations I attempt tonight. They had thought he had come, 
Owain Glendour had fought the English and lost, and now he disappeared. To rise again, no one knew, but his failure had led to Henry IV's severe penal laws, which had deprived the Welsh people of practically all their civil rights. The Welsh bards yearned for a new Umab Darogan, one who would help them shake off the yoke placed upon them by the hated English. Meanwhile, in Windsor Castle, a lowly keeper of the Queen's wardrobe is having a little dance. He's a dashing young Welshman who has managed, despite all restrictions on Wel Welsh people who live and work, to land himself a job at the court. Although I must say, it's not known for certain in what capacity. He's a good dancer, but apt to be somewhat clumsy. The poet, Robin the Ash Ap Schenkin Bledrith, takes up the story. When in your presence I was called to dance, in lofty tricks while myself advanced, and in a turn my footing failed by hap, was it not by chance to light into your lap? Who would not judge it fortune's greatest grace, since he must fall to fall in such a place? <laughs> in other words, Owen Tudor tripped over his own feet and landed on the Queen Dowager. <laughs> Catherine de Valois. <laughs> and despite this ropey start, there followed a romantic story of hidden love and hidden marriage. At this time, it was illegal for a Welshman to marry an English woman, but Owen was in luck because Catherine was French. She was the widow of Henry V, who died of dysentery in France in 1422 before seeing his son, which, given that his son was Henry VI, was probably just as well. Catherine and Owen were soon expecting their first child. So at some point they left the court and went to live in Hertfordshire. Edmund was born around 1430 and Jasper followed in November 1431, which means that she must have had to find an excuse not to attend her son Henry's coronation just a month later, although the fact that her son's coronation in France was pitting him against her brother, the Dauphin, may also have swayed her decision. Her marriage and her children were kept a secret until what was described as the accidental birth of another son, Owen, she was visiting her son, Henry VI, who was either very unobservant or was too polite to point out that she was packing a bit more weight these days. <laughs> and her, her waters broke prematurely and she had to rush off to Westminster Abbey, of all places. Oh, my goodness. And, and seek help from the monks there. Which, <laughs> like they know what to do. Well, yes, a group of celibate men. <laughs> oh, my God. The boy was born and he was taken in by the monks. Um, when Jasper was five and Catherine was yet again expecting, she realised that she was dying, probably of cancer, and was taken in by Bermondsey Abbey, where she was cared for until her death. And it was only then that the news of her double life came out, which must have been a hell of a shock for poor Henry. <laughs> <laughs> a farewell to Catherine de Valois, there's this lovely little story. After her death, Catherine's body was displayed in Westminster Abbey for more than 300 years. What? Her, bod her body... And in fact, Samuel Pepys wrote in his diary about a visit he made to see her. This was on the, his 36th birthday, so presumably it was his birthday treat. And he wrote in his diary, and I quote, I now took them to Westminster Abbey, it being Shrove Tuesday, and here we did see, by particular favour, the body of Queen Catherine of Valois. And I had the upper part of her body in my hands, and I did kiss her on the mouth, reflecting upon oh. it that I did kiss a queen. Oh, my gosh, that's <laughs> disgusting. I know. Yes, it's lovely, isn't it? It's uh, Samuel Pepys co copping off feel of Jasper oh. Tudor's dead mother. Oh, my goodness. Mm. What was the rationale for that? Not his action, because that was Samuel Pepys, and he was, I know, that was, he was a dirty old man. quite a creepy person. <laughs> but why would you have her body out for everybody to see for that long? 
Well, in Rex Factor, he mentioned about King Ferdinand, was it? Who's still on show? Really? Oh, what do they call that? Dark tourism? Oh, yes, probably. I think that is what that's called, but ew, gross. Okay. Jasper and Edmund were taken in by the Abbess of Barking, as Catherine de la Pole, for the next five years. But while the boys were well catered for, Catherine's death left Owen vulnerable. He was arrested, but soon released probably on the instructions of the king. Henry VI also took Jasper and Edmund in and recognised them as his family, which he didn't need to do. But looking at it from his point of view, though, he was a lad of 17, he was not emotionally strong, and he'd never met his father, his mother had just died, and suddenly he has a stepfather and three stepbrothers. So he's got an instant family. And at that time, family was such a big deal. And in the long run, it did prove to be a wise move, as Jasper was almost pathologically loyal to him. Yes. Jasper was given the lands that went with his new title, Earl of Pembroke. Uh, Jasper and Edmund were the first Welshmen to enter the English peerage. They'd been living quietly in Barking, and suddenly they shot straight up the aristocracy ladder with very strong links to the king himself and were recognised as Henry's uterine brothers. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should think many of the parliamentarians asked to ratify this privilege must have thought, what? Who? Why? Yeah. <laughs> Who are these people? <laughs> but, I mean, if they hadn't been living anywhere near a court, nobody would have known them. No, they wouldn't. No. Right. Henry decked the Tudor lads out in velvet, cloth of gold and furs so that they would look the part. Mm. And they, they were also given Margaret Beaufort. Oh, yes. Of episode one fame as their joint ward, and later she married Edmund... As was stressed in the last episode, she was 12 or 13. Yes. So poor Margaret went on to give birth to the future Henry VII when she was just 13. Jasper didn't marry at this time. It was such a time of turmoil that he probably had other things on his mind, like, you know, staying alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's been speculated that he may have been in love with Margaret himself, but, you know. Given that she was a wealthy heiress with connections everywhere, she was, like we said last week, she was proving to be a handy little cash cow for the Tudor brothers. Mm-hmm. In 1445, Henry VI was 23, and he married the 15-year-old Margaret of Anjou, another very wise move, as it turned out, although at the time it was an unpopular marriage. But she was a tough nut, Margaret. Very much so. Her uncle, Charles VII, agreed to the marriage, but only on condition that he didn't have to stump up the dowry, but instead would receive the lands of Maine and Anjou, and given that England had been hemorrhaging land in France over the previous decade or so, this was detested by the English public, especially since they lost Normandy soon after, and that brought terrible suffering with refugees staggering back into the country. And everyone oh, was I didn't in fear, fear of an invasion. Yeah, I just assumed the people would still live there and they just had to become French. I didn't realise they'd be fleeing. No, completely poverty stick. I mean, I mean, it's a bit like, you know, it has been with refugees coming from Syria and places like right. that. People arriving back in the country in a terrible state. Wow. And so, and so they were terrified that Henry was just giving away land and the same thing was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it was, too, it was considered too dangerous to let Henry go to France since having ceded Maine for such a nebulous promise of peace, God knows what he'd hand over if he was left to his own devices. <laughs> that tells you something. Just how reliable he was as a king that yes. people trusted him. <laughs> I think he he trusted everybody. That was that was his problem, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. By the 10th of August, 1453, 
Henry VI had what was the first of several episodes of complete mental and physical collapse. And it would be interesting to know whether he would have been so ill if he'd just been an ordinary bloke living an ordinary life, whether it's the stresses of oh, kingship. Right. Who knows? But what people did know, however, was that he couldn't rule in the condition he was in then. They needed a regent, and the most obvious choice was Richard Neville, Duke of York, who was a direct descendant of Edward III, and by all accounts very capable. It seems that Jasper wasn't entirely committed until Queen Margaret threw her hat into the ring, and the idea of a French queen, the niece of their enemy, Charles VII, becoming regent was just too much for most people, including Jasper. And meanwhile, Queen Margaret had had a son, Edward, and it's, that seems to have taken everybody by surprise. I don't know, they thought that Henry VI wasn't up to it, but this scuppered York's long-term plans. And for the time being, it was decided that York should become the protector, which he did, and ruled very effectively. But at the end of 1454, Henry VI got better, and rather touchingly, that was the first he knew of his ten-week-old son. But the Queen was delighted because she hadn't trusted York at all. And in this world of anti-peristasis, York, who had been riding high, suddenly found that he was being called in front of the Great Council, apparently on a charge of subversion. Obviously he wasn't pleased about this, and marched down to York with 3,000 armed men, <laughs> which was how they showed their displeasure in those days. Yes. So you're in trouble for going against the king, so you're going to go against the king. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Logic. And so to simplify hugely, this was the start of the War of the Roses. When he reached Royston in Hertfordshire, York issued a manifesto confirming his loyalty to Henry, despite the 3,000 men. And this was sent to the king, but Henry didn't receive it. It appears to have been intercepted, probably by Edmund Beaufort, the Duke of Somerset, Henry's right-hand man and York's nemesis. York had had Somerset in prison for incompetence while Henry was ill, and one of Henry's first acts on his recovery was to release a very angry Somerset. <laughs> Jasper and Edmund had to make a choice at this point. They owed everything to Henry, but they must have seen quite plainly that in his present condition he wasn't up to the job. However, Jasper stood in Westminster Great Council Chamber and with one hand on his breast and the other taking the king's, he said, I promise unto your highness by the faith and truth that I owe to God and to you that I truly and faithfully keep the alliance that I owe unto you, my most sovereign lord. And over that I shall with all my power resist and withstand all them that would in any wise presume to attempt the contrary. So God me help and his saints. And to say that Jasper kept his promise would be an understatement. Did he compose that himself or was that the common... I think that's, oh. I think that's a set. Right. Set. Okay. Henry was generally passive by nature and was never known to show anger, but when he didn't receive an apology from York, he shouted, By the faith I owe to St Edward and the Crown of England, I will destroy them, every mother's son. And so it all kicks off. Oh, gosh. If only that letter from York had got through. <laughs> do you think that would have done anything? Or do you think it was just too far gone? He seemed to be waiting for an apology, so... Oh. I mean, one was on its way. It just didn't quite make it to Right. I'm not going to describe all the battles, because there's sadly there isn't time, and I've included a whistle-stop tour of the War of the Roses on the website. Mm -hmm. But since the ducking and diving, weaving and skeeving is all fascinating and very, very convoluted... Also, a running theme of this episode is that in all but two or three of these battles, well, we're not sure what Jasper Tudor was up to. He's an elusive character, to say the least. This is partly in his nature and partly due to the fact we get much of our information about him from Polydor Virgil, who was writing after Jasper's death and was therefore more interested in the doings of the man who became king right. rather than the man who put him there. Right. Battle of St Albans is a fascinating battle. Because, yeah, I'm usually left pretty cold with the description of battles. You know, get all that left flank and pincer movements and 
all that. And stuff that makes no sense to me. No, I mean, unless the general did something truly spectacular, like a Scipio or a Caesar, I mean, it all seems much of a muchness, doesn't it, really? Mm -hmm. But St Albans involves house-to-house fighting and the streets and pubs are all named, which all makes it sound quite domestic. Some of the streets, I don't think the pubs are still there, but the streets are still there. Um, Jasper was in the fighting, but nothing was known of what he did. And it does seem to have made him believe that peace was the best policy. He doesn't come across as someone who really gets off on war. I mean, there are plenty who did, but he's, he's not one of them. Henry VI forgave York. Why? I don't know. I don't know. No. I got a little sidetracked with that, Jasper not being one of them. I wonder if that was a show to gentleness of character, or if he just didn't like the violence of war in particular because of the danger. I don't know, but York was sent off to Ireland to become lieutenant for ten years, which is effectively exile. So Henry got rid of him, all without chopping his head off. (laughs) Right. It is strange, though, that at such vindictive time, there are so many instances of forgiveness, even when, you know, in the long run, it proves to be a big mistake. Yeah. I mean, I'm not in favour of chopping people's heads off, but these sudden moments of forgiveness seem quite out, out of the blue. Yeah, and I mean, even if you weren't going to, say, execute everybody, you could strip them of all their land and wealth so they couldn't act against you again, but he doesn't do that either. He doesn't, no. In April 1456, some of York's followers, the Herberts, the Devereux and the Vaughans, annoyed at their defeat at St Albans, gathered forces in an attempt to make a raid on Kenilworth, intending to kill the king. It was at this time that it appears that York goes from wanting to be regent to wanting to be full-on king. Although, obviously, he was out of the country at this time, lieutenanting an island. York's followers determined to assert their control over the government by taking some of the Welsh castles and they seized Carmarthen and imprisoned Edmund Tudor in September 1456. And it's not quite known what happened. You you, you say you reckon it's plague, but... That was the common consensus was yeah. that it was plague, but everybody said it in all honesty. We didn't know. No, plague, death mainly. Mm-hmm. He died of death. He died of death. <laughs> I mean, whatever happened, this was a watershed for Jasper. I mean, York may have been the better ruler, but Jasper at this point threw in his lot with his half-brother, Henry, and from that point he never wavered. Even when it seemed like an utterly lost cause, (laughs) he still hung on in there. The three families, that's the Herberts, the Devereux and the Vaughans, were put on trial, but only only Devereux was imprisoned, and then not for long. The Vaughans and the Herberts were pardoned, which must have been pretty galling for Jasper. Yeah. And he would have other reasons to dislike the Vaughans, as we shall see later. Two months after this, Margaret Beaufort gave birth to Henry Tudor, and the care of the boy fell to her Uncle Jasper, and he spent a great deal of time sorting out his brother's affairs, and it was made all the harder given that both baby Henry and his mother were minors, which is creepy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I can't it imagine might... being 13 and having a child. That would have been insane. In March 1458, Henry VI was keen to reconcile the two factions and he held a love day. This is very sweet. (laughs) There was a procession through the town with the lords having to link arms with their deadliest enemy. So the Duke of Somerset, whose father had died in the Battle of St Albans, linked arms with the Earl of Salisbury, that's York's brother. Henry Holland, the Duke of Exeter, linked arms with Warwick, the Kingmaker, that's York's nephew. And most bizarre of all, Queen Margaret linked arms with Richard, Duke of York himself. So there must have been so many gritted teeth that day that they must have worn them all down to stumps. That's like having two men that have come to blows being told they have to hug it out. Yes. (laughs) It's ridiculous. 
I know it's just it is it's putting it in, putting into action that desperate plea you know why can't we all just get along yeah and sadly 15th century politics just didn't work like that no it doesn't work now <laughs> no no <laughs> as you can imagine this newfound affection didn't last long Margaret petitioned Parliament to serve the penalty of attainder on York and all his followers and servants. But Mary swings around about. Strasbourg found himself the recipient of all the Yorkish stuff, including Denby Castle, which is in North Wales. But it was a bit like renting a flat and then being told you ha- it was up to you to get the previous tenants out and they don't want to go. <laughs> Jasper was given the rights of military recruitment in Wales so that he could attack Denby which was ostensibly his own castle. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Don't damage it. I'm going to live there. <laughs> well, the town of Denby changed hands between Yorkist and Lancastrians several times, which must have been lovely for them. Oh, the poor people. In June 1458, Alfonso V, King of Aragon, died. Okay. Now, you may be wondering <laughs> why this is why relevant is to Jasper. Why are we talking about this person? <laughs> It's because there are only ever 24 Knights of the Garter at any one time. It's a one, uh. one out, one in process. <laughs> Alfonso went out and Jasper came in. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Eventually. All these skirmishes led to the big one. That's Battle of Northampton. York and his followers have been declared traitors and so they've got nothing to lose. The battle was fought in the pouring rain. They always seem to have terrible weather throughout the entire Wars of the Roses. If you were this... poetic, you could say it's because the earth is crying. <laughs> oh, yes. It was led by York's son, Edward, Earl of March, and the upshot was that Henry VI was seized and dragged, dragged from his tent, even though those who were protecting him, including Buckingham, who'd already had three arrows in the face at St oh Albans, goodness. fought to the death to protect him. Wow. Three hours to the fate. I mean, weren't you wearing a visor? And how much of your face is left after you had three I hours? I don't know. To and it makes you wonder like, does it go through one cheek and come out the other so it looks like you're wearing a bit? <laughs> I don't Ooh. know. I don't know, but he was obviously well enough to uh, keep on going. To, to get up and get up and fight another battle. Jeez. Yeah. yeah, they made them tough in those days, didn't they? Makes you think of that Monty Python sketch. It's just a scratch. (laughs) (laughs) On hearing of the king's capture, Margaret grabbed Prince Edward, her her little lad, and fled to Wales to meet with Jasper and and hide out in Harlech Castle. The Yorkist council summoned Jasper and told him to hand over Harlech and Denby, but Jasper refused, knowing that the order did not really come from the king, and he started recruiting men to fight for Margaret of Anjou. In September, York returned from Ireland and entered London as if he were already the reigning monarch. Oh, is this where he put his hand on the throne? This is where he misjudges things entirely. Yes. <laughs> he swaggers in and declares that he's the rightful and legal king based on primogeniture. When he, There's complete silence when he's finished talking. And he obviously thinks they're completely bowled over by my majesty. Oh, but then no. the house erupts and they are furious with him. Uh-oh. And even his own side didn't accept this. And the, and the fact that others had fought the battle that enabled him to return and demand the crown meant that he didn't gain the support he'd been expecting. I mean, even Warwick, his nephew, who had supported York, but this was more than he bargained for. He just wanted to remove the Lancastrian influence over Henry. He didn't want York to become king. That wasn't right. part of the plan. There was a compromise in the Act of Accord which recognised York as the heir to Henry VI. But there was a little problem with this, quite apart from the fact it put Henry in a dangerous position. Well, what do you think the problem is? 
Well, Henry's still alive. Yeah, and so is somebody else. His little lad, Edward. Oh, Edward, yes. <laughs> yeah. Edward and Margaret. Yes, Edward is, is, is being displaced. Oh, yeah. Mother will not be happy with that one. She is not happy. It says here, Mother is not happy. <laughs> That's precisely what I wrote. <laughs> and she's even less happy when her poor, confused husband was prevailed upon to sign a mandate demanding that the Queen and the Prince return to London. If she didn't, she'd be guilty of treason. Now, Henry is still officially king at this time. Margaret's his wife, the Queen... Right. And she would be guilty of treason if she didn't hand herself and young Edward over to the people who were their enemies and, at this point. Yeah, and <laughs> cap they held captive her husband. It's like, mm. how could that be argued at all? Yeah. Anyway, she decided she wouldn't do that. Good. I wouldn't either. Margaret and Jasper made arrangements for Jasper to lead a force against the Yorkists. And Margaret went secretly to Scotland and began raising forces there in return for the session of Berwick and Roxburgh. Oh, to Scotland. She's mm -hmm. giving up, so they've already lost all the lands in France, and now she's giving up more lands, but to the Scottish, so that she can stay on the throne. That aren't really hers to give, I wouldn't no. have thought. <laughs> I mean, you have to be completely single-minded when told, yes, you can have the troops, but we want those two towns to say, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. Have them, have them. But I suppose her back's, her back's against the wall. If she mm -hmm. didn't win this fight, she and her son would be arrested, and it was of no benefit to Richard, Duke of York, to keep them alive. Right. So, unbelievably, just eight days after this mandate demanding her return to London was issued, Margaret was entering York, uh, the city, not the man, obviously, at the head of a large <laughs> force. And her achievement's even greater when you think, usually the lords of great estates have their own men to make use of. When yes. raising an army. Well, Margaret wasn't doing that. She was having to rely on the kindness of strangers and the natural enmity between the Scots and the English. So presumably the fact that she was French was quite yeah, beneficial. Yeah, so you've got a French, queen, oh, sorry, a French queen at the head of a Scottish army. Fighting In against an English. Fighting English. Yes. Yeah, that'll look great. Uh, yes, it's beginning to get complex, shall we say. The Yorkists quickly realised what Margaret and Jasper's plans were and knew that they would have to head off Jasper so that the two Lancastrian armies could not meet. Meanwhile, Richard, Duke of York himself, was being sieged at Sandal Castle near Wakefield Green by the Duke of Somerset. Now, if <laughs> this is weird. If you are ever tempted into falling into a trap of thinking that people in the 15th century are just like us at heart, there's something that happens in this time that might make you change your mind. There was a satirical poem against York was put on display in Fleet Street in London. But it, was, it wasn't scrawled on the wall or put up on a billboard. It was clamped between the cold, dead jaws of the severed heads of five dogs. Oh, my which, God. Which were then arrayed along the road so that passers-by could re read this poem. Oh, what the heck? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Even in these days of Extinction Rebellion, you, you can't help think that protests were more imaginative in those days, weren't they? I mean... And deprived. Like, how evil do you have to be to cut off the heads of dogs? I'm sorry, I love dogs. But, mm. wow. Yeah, I know, I know we've had quite a few beheadings so far, but dogs. Dogs, yeah, not dogs. <laughs> not dogs. dogs are innocent. <laughs> They've never done anything wrong. Oh, my God. Uh, the Duke of York, Richard, uh, Duke of York, was probably running short of provisions in the castle, and seeing that Somerset's army was no bigger than his, he decided to go for it. And unfortunate for York, it was a classic, half the army hiding in the woods set up. And he quickly found himself surrounded and unable to get back into the castle. 
and he was apparently environed on all sides like a fish in a net and a, or a deer in a buckstall, so that he manfully fighting was within half an hour slain and his whole army discomfited. I love the phrase discomfited. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. You know, the cushion's a little hard. <laughs> yes. Oh, we're discomfited. Yes. Um, York's head was carried on the end of a lance and presented to Queen Margaret. And the head, yeah, nice little prezzy. The head was then displayed over Micklegate Bar, wearing a paper crown with a sign saying, Let York overlook the town of York. So there we go, that's that. The man's dead. Now everything can go back to normal. Hooray! Hooray! I Mm. don't believe this. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a little way to go yet. But heading west at the front of the army was Edward, Earl of March, York's son, who has now become Edward, Duke of York. And he'll have to avenge his father's death, and he is now heir to Henry's throne. And to prevent the two Lancastrian armies meeting up, he's going to have to deal with Jasper. Okay, it's 1461, and all's going well. Jasper's marching from the west with the forces he's recruited in Wales. Margaret, with her Scottish army, has met up with the northern Lancastrian army and is heading down south. Richard, Duke of York, is dead, as is Salisbury, his brother, and York's son, Rutland. So everything's looking good for the Lancastrians. Yeah, it sounds like it's all over. How can they possibly lose? Well, this is how. The Lacastrians, led by Jasper, and the Yorkists, led by Edward, Duke of York, met at Mortimer's Cross. Jasper's troops had been marching in the winter cold for over 100 miles, and they were moving away from terrain that was familiar to them into the unknown. It's worth remembering that Edward is 18 at this point. They are all so So young, young. these people. (laughs) They're just children. Yes. (laughs) Um, Interestingly, it was the Yorkist army that consisted mainly of Welshmen. Jasper's army was made up of men speaking five different languages, and this may have been the problem. Edward's troops were local men fighting for their homeland, while Jasper's troops were not as well trained, and they were topped up with foreign mercenaries who were only going to fight for as long as they could see it was worth it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I imagine Edward's army all shiny and arrayed in perfect rows like the Attack of the Clones. (laughs) Jasper's was, I don't know, two men, one with black teeth, sort of stand there, one's brought his mother, and... (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, as you've probably gathered, it was a disaster. And again, more details of the battle on the website. And Jasper did what he did best. He melted away into the countryside in disguise. But Owen, his dad, who had been leading some of the troops, was not so lucky. He was an old man at this stage, around 60. Pretty good going for that time. And he was imprisoned in Usk Castle, where he may have just been kept as hostage, but for the fact that a group of chieftains made a botched effort to rescue him. And in revenge for this, poor Owen was taken to Hereford Market on the orders of Sir Roger Vaughan. So remember that name. Okay. And apparently he was expected a reprieve because of his close connection with the royal family. And it was not until the execution had ripped his collar off that Owen realised that a last-minute acquittal was not coming. Oh, right. Yeah, they usually got... Um, ransomed. Mm-mm. As he laid his head on the block, he's reported to have said, this head which used to lie in Queen Catherine's lap would now lie in the executioner's basket. Or words to that effect. I've read several versions. 
So sadly, that's the end of Owen, the old romantic. Hmm. Anyway, Jasper's beaten, but Margaret's still on her way. The Earl of Warwick headed to St Albans with his brother Baron Montague, taking the King with him for some reason. But it didn't quite work out why. The Lancastrians appeared suddenly, taking Warwick by surprise, and Warwick and his brother Montague messed up good and proper. Warwick was fighting the Lancastrians in the town, but Montague didn't go to his aid because he thought that it was just a little squirmi squirmish. <laughs> squirmish. <laughs> skirmish, and the battle proper hadn't kicked off yet. But later, the Duke of Somerset attacked Montague, but Warwick didn't go to his aid because he believed that these attacks were diversions and the big push was yet to come. So both Warwick and Montague lost their battles because neither brother helped the other. <laughs> and okay. But apparently, as the battle raged around him, Henry VI sat under a tree singing and laughing to himself, which is desperately sad. Isn't it? it really is. Mm. How can you... You would think he... So... Sorry, he could not have been at all aware of his surroundings at that point. If that's what he was doing, there is no way you could take in that kind of atrocity and still be laughing and singing. Well, unless he was only too aware of it, and that was his one way of fighting True. against it in his own head. Possibly, I yes, I don't know. One of the casualties of this battle was John Gray, which is a name that may not mean very much to you, except that he was married to a certain Elizabeth Woodville, who was now free to marry again. Oh, right, her first husband. Yeah, first husband. So the Queen had won. She planned to go to London, but London has made it quite clear that they didn't want their city filled with dodgy-looking soldiers, and they'd become quite disillusioned with the Lancastrians, who seemed to have deserted the capital for the Midlands. So she moved north, taking the King with her. And that, that was the phrasing in the book I read. The King didn't go with her. She took she him. She took him. So I, I, yeah, I, I could imagine her tucking him under her arm like a beach ball and sort of striding <laughs> off with him, shouting, you know, shouting over her shoulder, right, if that's the way you feel, we're going. Yes. But I also imagine Henry must have had a lot of explaining to do as to why he'd signed a mandate calling her and her son into enemy territory. I mean, this is... Either that or she would have realised that he was not mentally with it and just sort of resigned to the fact. Yeah, I mean, it's been fascinating to understand their relationship. Yeah. The Yorkist men who had guarded Henry were executed on the Queen's orders and she asked eight-year-old Edward, Prince of Wales, how it should be done. Ooh. Mummy obviously believing that the boy should grow up fast and take early responsibility. But kids at that age are so cruel. Well, indeed, he recommended beheading. Oh, lovely. Well, I know, it's a horrible image. Eight-year-old boy condemning a group of men to death. Yeah. I, went right, I went right off Margaret at that point. Yes. Yeah, and it obviously had a detrimental effect on the lads since the Milanese ambassador to France described the 13-year-old Prince Edward five years later and saying, this boy already talks of nothing but cutting off heads and making war. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I mean, he he was what enlightened childcare experts would now describe as a right little <laughs> No, we also have to think of the fact that he's been traumatized his entire life. And what we... have those parents done to him? What Absolutely to him? nothing good. And he might have inherited his father's mental illness just in a different direction. He may well have done. I mean, there's, there's examples of it throughout the family, isn't there? Mm -hmm. in, the French, the, in the French the French line. Yeah. But also, I mean, that's what you said about Richard III. That what else? What could you expect from the man, given that what he'd been brought up in? Yes. 
Although the Queen had won the battle and released Henry, that made no difference. Edward reached London on March the 1st, 1461, and was declared king by the army. And Warwick was none too happy about that. He had wanted to improve Henry's regime and decrease the influence of some of Henry's favourites on the king, but he hadn't wanted a complete regime change, which is curious given his epithet. But where is Jasper, I hear you ask? Where is Jasper? <laughs> I heard you ask that. <laughs> um, well, Tempe Castle, probably. Oh, yeah. so we don't have any idea. <laughs> yeah, he's an elusive little man. I can imagine since he had been so involved, I don't think he would have left the court. Do you? He's, he's still on the run from Mortimer Cross. Yeah, he's lying low. <laughs> Just <Okay. laughs> with, with every reason. Edward marched north after the Queen's army and they met at a little place called Towton. Again, I don't have time to describe the battle. Suffice it to say it took place in a blizzard and is said to be the bloodiest battle on English soil. The Crowland Chronicler said that snow fell and covered the frozen ground and when it eventually melted, blood started to flow again along the furrows and ditches for two or three miles. I mean, obviously, this is it's quite a common trope for a description of a battle, but I quite like that little time delay, the fact that everything froze. Yeah, it had to thaw <laughs> and first. Then, and then melted again. So that's a nice touch. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Jasper wasn't there. He was in Wales. Uh, but this massacre of a battle meant that all the other Lancastrian leaders were either dead or in exile. And Jasper was on his own. And Edward needed to tie up the loose ends. Uh-oh. In May, Jasper's lands in England and Wales were taken and given to Lord Herbert, now one of Edward's favourites. A Lancastrian embassy was sent to Charles VII in France, who was known to be sympathetic to their cause since the Yorkists were more vociferous in pressing their claim to territories in France that England had lost. However, while they were on their way, Charles died, and his son was pro-Yorkist, so, you know, no luck there. That was Louis XI, known as the Universal Spider, for reasons we shall soon see. That's not a nickname I'd want. No? No, don't like spiders. <laughs> right. <laughs> there was little going on up north, so the Yorkists gave all their attention to Wales, in particular Pembroke Castle. It was ready for a long siege, but in fact it was given up without a fight. It had been suggested that Jasper had given instructions to that end to save the castle from being ruined, but it seems unlikely given that when the castle was taken Edward won a nice little prize. Henry right. Tudor. Henry Tudor was in <laughs> Henry there. Tudor. He's just four years old. Margaret Beaufort, as we found out, was not given care of her son. No. Instead he was delivered into Lord Herbert's care where he was looked after for the next eight years by his wife Anne Deverer. And Henry apparently looked upon Anne with affection, despite the fact that her father, Sir Walter Deverer, had arrested Edmund Tudor, Henry's father, who had then died mysteriously soon after leaving Sir Walter's custody. Mm-hmm. Lord Herbert pursued Jasper after the capture of Pembroke Castle, and Jasper was said to be somewhere in Snowdonia with Henry Holland, the Duke of Exeter. Herbert met Exeter and Jasper in Tut Hill, outside Carnarvon, and this was a complete victory for Herbert. And you may have noticed that Jasper has never actually won a battle. Oh, you're right. No, Jasper did what he did best. He disappeared, probably to Scotland. He made three further attempts to build up a force against Edward, but no one was really interested anymore. And there must have been people, even on the Lancastrian side, who thought, you know, anything's better than Henry VI. Yes. Everyone was sick of war. 
and Margaret of Anjou was also finding it difficult to raise enthusiasm amongst the Scots for her cause, so she started arranging a marriage between that awful seven-year-old son of hers and a Scottish princess, poor girl. Yes. On the 4th of November, 1461, on the very first day of Edward IV's very first Parliament, Jasper was formally attainted. Edward also stripped Henry Tudor of his lands and gave them all to his brother, George, Duke of Clarence. If Jasper was to get his lands and title back, he would have to get Edward off the throne and reinstate Henry VI. As Jasper sank down, Herbert popped up. He was Welsh-speaking, and he began to replace Jasper as the new Umab Daragon, son of prophecy. The bards now made a beeline for his Welsh-speaking court at Raglan Castle. Because notoriously fickle thing, bards, aren't they? Yeah, whoever has money. He owned or ran virtually all of Wales apart from Glamorgan, and he'd been given some land that had been expected to go to Warwick. Oh. Mm. And where was Jasper? We don't know. Well, he appears to have spent the next year flitting from Ireland and Scotland and France, trying to raise men or cash, or so we think. You know, who who knows where that man gets to? I want to know how he managed to afford to live. I'm wondering that. I assume that Margaret must be giving him money to raise troops. But then where but, is she getting the money? Where is she money? getting the money? <laughs> yes. I wondered the very th- same thing, and I couldn't find out any information about it. There was a little bit that I read during the research for Margaret Beaufort, and it was how much debt she ended up in at the end. Yes. Oh, yes. We're coming to that. So maybe that's where she got the money. She just kept getting loans. Yes. Well, she hasn't yet, as far as I know. But it does come, and it comes with with a cost. Okay. In the spring of 1462, Margaret determined to go to France to see her cousin, the king, hoping that if she were to talk to him face to face, he might help her, as they had played together as children, after all. She took Prince Edward with her, but left Henry VI behind. Presumably tucked away neatly in a cupboard somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) She arrived in Brittany in April, where she was met by Jasper. There he is. He's in Brittany. King Louis agreed to an alliance with the Lancastrians, but quickly reneged on his promise to fund an invasion of England, because he's not called a universal spider for nothing. Right. Jasper went back up to Scotland, where he got a letter of credence from Henry VI to Louis, which sort of gives him the right to talk. Oh, right, to be a representative. Okay. But Louis held all the cards, though. He only had to say non, and the whole thing's null and void. But they do succeed in making a secret agreement. And why was it secret? Do you know? No, but it's obviously not a secret now. No, well, it wasn't a secret for long. Margaret had agreed to give Louis... Calais as collateral 
as collateral that? for the loan from the King of France. The deal was, if she did not pay back twice the money that Louis had lent her, he would get the last English territory on the continent. And she would have pleaded that it wasn't a sale, just a mortgage. But when this got out at home, it did terrible damage to her cause. And the sheer misery of the fall of Normandy was fresh in everyone's minds, with impoverished refugees arriving in London, traumatised. Yeah. But Margaret was pretty good at promising things that were not hers to give. I mean, she'd already promised the Scots Berwick and Carlisle. Now she was handing over Calais. England is getting smaller and smaller by the moment. A further treaty signed in Tours declared a hundred years' truce between Henry VI and Louis XI. One of the signatories was Jasper. So now the Lancastrians had the full support of England's greatest enemy. So... It, it sounds good, but at the same time, I can't imagine anybody would have been happy with it at that time. Well, given that Edward, Ed, Edward is king. Yeah. It, so it, it, they, they are making pacts with the enemy of the country. Yeah, they're making a deal with the devil. When you look at it from his side, what they're doing is, is, is not good. No. But when you look at it from Henry and Jasper's side... It's still not what good. What else are they doing? <laughs> They've just given up so much. Yes, but wow. I'm going to end up just the king of a little county at this rate. (laughs) Jasper went back to Scotland to tell Henry VI the good news and to wait for Margaret to arrive with the troops. Unfortunately, the ones she brought back were useless. Louis having been rather half-hearted with his assistance and they marched into Northumberland and took a few castles But Edward stormed up there with 39 peers, that's the greatest number assembled in a late medieval army, and laid siege. And on hearing of their approach, Henry VI and Margaret fled back to Scotland with most of the French troops. And Edward managed to recapture the castle, although in a bizarre incident, Jasper broke into Bamborough Castle while Edward was besieging it. What? For no reason that I could see. (laughs) The summons described him as an adrenaline junkie. Possibly, but there had to have been a reason. I wonder what was left there that they needed to get. Let me guess, it was Henry VI. He was tucked away in that cupboard. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's heading up to Scotland. But, I mean, it was a dire situation in the castle because they were eating horses by this point. Mm. Uh, Even more bizarre... Well, if he could break in, they could have gotten food in. One would have thought so. You know, he could at least least taken a packed lunch or something. (laughs) here's a sandwich. (laughs) But even more bizarre, Edward allowed Jasper safe passage back to Scotland. But if he had the man, why did he let him go? I have no idea, because at this point it sounds like he's one of the only people that is still able to lead an army, although poorly. Yeah, (laughs) yes. Yes, he's not good at it, but he he has a go. You can't can't knock him for enthusiasm. No. Uh, Apparently it was to do with the fact that it was cold and rainy and Edward's soldiers had had enough. So just keep him anyway. <laughs> yes. So you don't have to do this again. And face a much harder problem when uh, in later years. Yeah. In 1463, Margaret set about the task of persuading Louis XI to give them more aid. And also she was trying to stop him from becoming too pally with Edward IV. You know, why do they still trust this man? I don't Louis? know. He's already let them down and she's getting in deeper. She's already agreed to pay him twice what he lent her. But, you know, it's like one of those payday loans. Her debts are going oh to start spiralling out of control. It sounds like she's trying to do a deal with the mafia. Yes, yes. 
I, I should imagine he wasn't far off. <laughs> <laughs> the Lancastrians made another brief attempt and captured Norham Castle, but Edward's men turned up and they ran away, which they seemed to do quite a lot. Yes. Uh, Henry VI stayed in Scotland, but Margaret and their son Edward sailed to Flanders and they would never see Henry again. I don't think Edward would have remembered or cared. Like, the child. I wonder what he made of his dad. Probably not well. I mean, he would have obviously Mm. realized that his dad was not the main actor. It was his mother. So in such an age when there was so much misogyny, I can't imagine that he would have any respect for his dad. I can't think he would, no. Or vice versa, I would have thought. Yeah. Louis XI made a pact with Henry IV and Philip the Good of Burgundy that they would not aid each other's enemies. And the Scots realised what this would mean for them and that also opened negotiations with Edward and they agreed not to support the Lancastrians anymore and told Henry VI to get out of their country. So he sailed to Bamborough, where again the situation was desperate. Jasper was negotiating with Duke Francois II of Brittany who agreed to help Henry VI, but as it happened, events overtook them and Henry was never able to make use of Francois' help. There was another battle at Hedgley Moor on the 15th of April, 1464. But these battles are getting a bit samey and the Lancastrians ran away. Henry escaped to Northumberland, but was later captured. And so he's in custody again. So this is what happens when Margaret is off the scene, constantly being caught. Yeah. Jasper then falls off the radar for three and a half years. We know nothing, nothing of what he was up to. But I'm sure he's up to something. It's too bad we don't even have a single letter or anything mm-hmm. that can speak to what he was like. Well, now we get to a particularly notorious event. Throughout 1464, Warwick had been negotiating with France for Edward IV to marry Louis XI's sister-in-law, Bonner. It seems that Margaret was right to worry that Louis was getting too pally with the Yorkists. Warwick and Sir John Wenlock had arranged to meet Louis at Saint-Omer near Calais to put the finishing touches to the wedding arrangements. However, oh, <laughs> when I know Warwick... it's coming. When Warwick was called in to speak to Edward IV, what was his consternation when Edward looked shifty, put his hands in his pockets, (laughs) to Elizabeth Woodville? You can imagine that Warwick would have been furious. Oh, how embarrassing would that be? I'm going to try to commit bigamy (laughs) with my king. Well, and even no. worse, Louis XI knew nothing about this until Warwick and Wenlock failed to turn up at Saint-Omer. They didn't even send him an explanatory note. Well, I imagine them heading there with them both saying, you know, when we get there, will you tell him? Yeah, and no, you going, can tell me? them. No, you mind me. No, you t- <laughs> until Let's roll on dice. Whoever loses has to tell him. <laughs> and then one of them tentatively says, should we just not go? Oh, no. <laughs> He gets stood up. <laughs> I think these men go into battle, but they don't go and face, face well, the king. In battle, they have a chance of surviving and maybe being ransomed. Maybe oh. Louis was so spidery that they just figured they were automatically going to be executed on the spot. Yeah. Well, obviously not a once bitten, twice shy sort of man. In the spring of 1466, Warwick again set off back to France and Burgundy to negotiate proposed marriage involving Edward's sister, another Margaret. Warwick favoured France, but Richard Woodville, Edward's new father-in-law, wanted Burgundy. So whom did Edward sign a secret treaty with that autumn? Burgundy. Bad news for Warwick, but good news for Jasper. 
since Louis XI felt that he had every justification to mm. turn back mm. to him and away from Edward IV. And to cap it all, Edward then refused to allow a marriage between Warwick's daughter and Edward's brother Clarence. Yes. And Warwick must have been getting a bit of deja vu here because he'd rebelled against Henry VI over his use of favourites and the sort of cliqueiness of his court. And now it's happening all over again. And they were taking over Edward. And so they weren't first... even, they weren't high gentry either. She, oh, no. No oh, status. No. They were scum. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, Warwick was getting pushed further and further down the list. And he was a proud man. Mm-hmm. And Edward, I don't know whether Edward was doing this deliberately or through thoughtlessness. I mean, he was young and in love, I suppose, wasn't he? Yeah. But he, pu- he was pushing him too far. Because Warwick had been a big player in Edward's court. Because the way he was described to Louis XI by an emissary, it said, England had but two rulers, Monsieur de Warwick and another whose name I've forgotten. Oh, <laughs> ouch. That's, that's telling him. Yeah. In 1468, events finally turned in Jasper and the Lancastrians' favour. Because Edward had favoured Burgundy over France, Louis XI was feeling vulnerable and so again turned to Jasper. After a fair bit of negotiation, Louis stumped up the princely sum of £293, five shillings and five pence, and three ships for Jasper's expedition to Wales. I always think of that as penny pinching. When they tell you all the way down to the pence. <laughs> I don't think it sounds like a lot of money. I mean, it's hard to tell from this, but it doesn't sound like a lot of money. No. When Jasper got to Wales, men flocked to him, and he quickly formed an army of 2,000 men. So this is going to be it. The worm is about to turn. This is Jasper's chance to shine. Lord Herbert sent his army out to devastate the land so that Jasper's troops would be unable to find food. His army quickly defeated Jasper's small force at Harlech, <laughs> giving rise to the song Men of Harlech, and beheaded 20 of Jasper's men. But not dogs, so that's good. Not dogs! <laughs> good. So look at that, he's lost another battle. Bless him. He, he hasn't won anything yet. Not yet, no. I only know of one. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on to that one. (laughs) To add insult to injury, Herbert was now made Earl of Pembroke, but since Jasper continued to use the title anyway, for a while there were two of them. And where's Jasper? He's dressed as a peasant with a load of straw on his back, sneaking (laughs) onto a ship. (laughs) I did find that my sympathy for Jasper had been a little bit stretched at this point. He had attacked Denby again a town that had been quite happy under Edward, and he burnt down areas of it that resisted. Oh. And this had a knock-on effect for the surrounding areas since they were unable to pay their taxes to Edward and were punished for it to such an extent that it was said that a century later it had still not recovered. Oh, my gosh. And they yeah. would see that all as Jasper's fault. Well, because it was. <laughs> well, yeah, it was. <laughs> and they lost Harlech to the Yorkists, and that was the last Lancastrian stronghold so, yeah, not only did Jasper lose, but for the people of Wales, the people he claimed to represent, things were a lot worse than before he'd arrived. Yeah. And why? To bring back a king that nobody wanted. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, there was a certain amount of discontent with Edward's rule. He'd not delivered all that he promised, but then, you know, who does? But was Henry VI a viable alternative? I don't think so. I, no. I wouldn't want him. Anyway, Jasper sails off on a little boat. And that's the last we hear of him for a while. In April 1469, a rebellion in Yorkshire, probably instigated by Warwick, flared up but was quickly put down. 
and by June, Warwick was rebelling openly. His influence had been waning, as we saw, and the Woodvilles are on the up. Warwick now saw Edward IV's brother, Clarence, as a better option, at least one who would understand his, Warwick's, worth and reward him accordingly. Warwick's troops and Edward's, led by Lord Herbert, met at Edgecott Moor near Banbury. Herbert's suffered great losses, despite his brother, Sir, Sir Richard, racing up and down the rebel line, swinging a pole-axe. He was forced to leave his defensive position and attack, when suddenly, what's that coming over the hill, shouting, A Warwick? Well, understandably, Herbert thought it was Warwick's army ready to attack, mm -hmm. and the Yorkist army crumbled. But in fact, it was only a small force of what was described as rascals from the town of Northampton. <laughs> Warwick's army was still some distance away, but by default, it won. The Yorkists were slaughtered, including 168 Welsh nobles. Herbert and his brother were taken to Banbury and executed. Jasper was not at this battle, surprise, surprise. <laughs> but somebody else was, as we heard last time, the young ward of Lord Herbert, Henry, Henry Tudor, Tudor yes. who was watching the massacre from a safe distance. Warwick then captured the king, Edward IV, who was on his way from Nottingham, and he must have thought he'd done it all, but it turned out he didn't have the support of the barons. And after some unrest, he, Warwick, was forced to let the king go again. But only after persuading him to sign pardons for everyone involved in this debacle. There appears to be some sort of reconciliation between Edward, Clarence and Warwick, but we must wonder how sincere that was. Richard of Gloucester now became Edward's right-hand man. So it was not as if Warwick was back where he had been. No. Yeah. He didn't gain anything, that's for sure. No, he didn't. He lost a lot. And as for Jasper, he was in the service of Louis the Eleventh at this time. Probably. <laughs> Possibly. Edward had a problem. He wanted to stamp out any bubbling rebellion that still existed, but he no longer had Lord Herbert to sort it out. And he didn't feel he could trust Warwick with an army. Or his <laughs> brother George. No, I mean, it seems crazy enough to trust that man with a teaspoon, never mind an army, but it seems he was right, <laughs> as there was a rebellion in Stamford in which Warwick and Clarence seemed to have had a hand, and so they were forced to flee to France. <laughs> cutting a cutting long story short there. Once there, Warwick began to, to have second thoughts about Clarence. He and Louis XI decided to work for the return to power of Henry VI and to broker up a marriage between Warwick's daughter and Edward, the Prince of Wales. Wow. Henry and Margaret of Anjou's son. Warwick was also suggesting that Prince Edward should accompany him and Clarence back to England. Now, this, this would involve a reconciliation between Margaret and the man who'd been her enemy since he was complicit in putting Edward IV on the throne. And started the whole thing. Yes, this she did not appear to want to do. No. Edward XI spent over a month in negotiations with Margaret and Warwick spent 15 minutes on his knees begging forgiveness from her. And that seems to have done the trick. She liked that. <laughs> she agreed to the marriage, but not to Warwick taking the boy to England. And so Jasper was to go in his place, which made a lot more sense. I mean, you don't want to put the one thing that might ensure support in a position where he might be captured. Right. By the Edward IV. Um, he obviously had no reason to keep the lad alive. No. At this point, and... you think Edward would know that until these people are dead, he's going to be fighting for the crown the entire precisely, time. Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. Margaret also agreed that if Henry VI was not fit to rule, then Jasper and Warwick should do it until Prince Edward came of age. But since he was 17, yeah, it wouldn't be very long. No. Clarence was told that he'd be next in line after young Edward, but it seems unlikely that they really intended him ever to reign. No. Uh, and he wasn't the brightest button in the box, was he? No. 
9th of September, 1470, Jasper, Clarence, Warwick and the Earl of Oxford, who was also exiled in France at this point, landed in England. Jasper went to Wales to raise troops. They must have got sick of him in Wales, you know, <laughs> shouting, quick, behind the sofa, it's that man again. <laughs> <laughs> Don't open the door, turn off the lights, close the curtains. <laughs> it's like when carol singers come round. <laughs> Warwick went to London. A mock rebellion in the north had distracted King Edward, so on the 20th of October, Edward was forced to flee on learning that Warwick's brother, Montague, had also changed sides. Edward had let him raise troops, assuming it was to put down the rebellion, but he'd realised rather too late that the troops were intended to be used against him. Oh, so that, that was awkward. By the 3rd of October, Henry VI was out of the tower and back on the throne, where he sat, according to contemporary sources, submissive and mute, like a crowned calf. Uh, oh, that is not a good king. <laughs> oh. Although at this time he was too ill to ruin... Uh, ru- ruin? <laughs> that was a Freudian slip. He was too <laughs> ill to rule unaided. <laughs> and in fact, he had to be held by the hand as he was paraded round London. That's just sad. It is. It's, oh, it's excruciating. But luckily Warwick was around to help him. <laughs> Good old Warwick. Oh, yes. Yes. He's dependable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how Jasper's Welsh troops were much help in this restoration. Very little, I should think. And it's quite possible he was still raising them when the whole thing was over. But he was able to reclaim Henry Tudor. So, I mean, that's, that's a plus. Henry's restoration meant a complete turnaround for Jasper's finances, and he was given several important posts. So everything is now tickety-boo for the Tudor family. Yay! (laughs) Meanwhile, Edward had managed to secure the help of Charles the Bold of Burgundy. He sailed with an army and landed in Yorkshire. Clarence, realising that he'd been cheated out of his potential crown, deserted Warwick and sided with his brother again. (laughs) And while Jasper was in Hereford raising troops... Edward marched to London and took poor Henry prisoner again. Henry had been king for just six months. I get the feeling that Henry's just at the door and opens it up and says, oh, hello, come on in. He does almost precisely that. Yes, he says to Edward, I I have to paraphrase, I I haven't got got it written down. Um, I I, I can't expect anything bad from you. You're you're my mate, aren't you? (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Oh, Henry. Oh, how wrong (laughs) you are. (laughs) The Battle of Barnet followed, in which the Lancastrians appeared to be winning, but then Montague mistook Oxford's men for Edward's and fired on them, and then Oxford men mistook their own badge, the star, for Edward's son in splendour, and started firing on themselves. Oh my goodness. So it was something of an own goal for the Lancastrians, especially since Warwick and Montague were killed and Oxford had to flee to Scotland. They effectively, uh, well, they messed up. Wow, oh, yeah, <laughs> in the most simple terms. <laughs> when, you, when you start killing your own people, you have to accept you've messed up. Yes. <laughs> the defeated Lancastrians felt that their best bet was to try and meet up with Jasper's forces. However, Edward IV managed to get to them before the rendezvous. And there was the Battle of Tewkesbury, at which young Edward, the Prince of Wales, had pleaded with his mother to let him fight, and she'd reluctantly assented. Oh, something she'd never live down for the rest of her life. That would haunt her. The lad was wounded, and he was found by Yorkists, and legend has it was dispatched by the three brothers, King Edward, Clarence, and Richard, Duke of York, Richard III, although he was probably just killed on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Margaret was discovered and arrested, 
Uh, Jasper had been try trying to raise forces in South Wales and had not been able to reach Margaret in time to prevent her capture. So he holed up in Chepstow while he decided what to do next. So this was a disaster. Both Henry VI and Margaret were in captivity and the heir to the throne was dead. End of story. <laughs> One would think. <laughs> yeah, if we were living in the same world, yes, end of story. <laughs> Edward's next job was to dispose of the last impediment to his reign. And he knew exactly where Jasper was. Edward sent Sir Roger Vaughan to deal with him. So he had to have been important if he was singled out to be removed. Oh, he was important, yes. 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 So far we're just talking about how we don't know where he is, but he was obviously <laughs> a player that was important. Yeah, well that's what I meant by it. he was he's difficult to catch on to. Mm -hmm. I mean, for them and for us. Yeah, anyway, Edward sent Rob, Sir Roger Vaughan to deal with him. Sir Roger Vaughan. And if you think this name rings a bell, so it should. This was the same Sir Roger Vaughan that was responsible for the capture and execution of Owen Tudor a decade mm -hmm. before and for the imprisonment of Edmund, Jasper's brother, yes. before that. So Jasper had a score to settle with the Vaughans. Vaughan begged Jasper to spare his life, but Jasper replied that he should have such favour as he showed to Owen, his father, and cut his head off. Serves you right. That is the only occasion that we hear of him doing anything like that. Right. So maybe he was doing it all the time, but we didn't hear of it. But that's... But that one feels kind of justified. You killed my father. I'm starting to think of the princess bride. My name is Inigo Motoya. You killed my father. Prepared to die. <laughs> or, um, gladiator. Mm -hmm. Jasper's nephew was the only adult Lancastrian left who was not in custody or dead, except for Henry Holland, Duke of Exeter. And nobody wanted him. He was a violent nutter. Jasper reached Pembroke Castle, where they were besieged by a relative of Roger Vaughan, and then saved by the besiegers' brother, and then he fled with Henry Tudor down a secret passage to Tenby, under a building that's now Boots the Chemist, and you can go and visit it, oh. that took them to the harbour, where they got on a boat and sailed for France. <laughs> they didn't get to France. They were blown off course and ended up in Brittany, where they were taken in by Francois II, who knew a good thing when he saw one. Around this time, Edward IV realised the danger of keeping him alive and had poor Henry VI murdered. Some say Richard of Gloucester did the deed, although it was put about that he died of pure displeasure and melancholy. Mm -hmm. Over the death of his son. Like hell. Yeah. <laughs> Now, the fate of Jasper and Henry Tudor was wrapped up in the ludicrously complicated political situation on the continent. The leaders of France, Brittany, Burgundy, the Holy Roman Emperor and several southern magnates were all jostling each other in a bid to gain more land. And it's too convoluted to go into detail here, but hopefully it will all become clear as we cover these people in their own episodes. Henry and Jasper were treated well by Francois, but their movements were restricted as Francois was hardly going to let these two slip through his fingers he realised that either they could be handed over to Edward IV in return for aid in fighting against France, or they could attract Lancastrians to fight against Louis. Either way, they were going to be pretty useful to him. Mm -hmm. 
Louis XI of France was having problems on several fronts. From Charles the Bold of Burgundy, who had made a treaty with his brother-in-law, Edward IV, with Francois of Brittany, and with powerful nobles from the Languedoc area. As part of the agreement, Edward IV would be crowned King of France. Edward arrived with a massive army, but Charles the Bold would not let him into any towns fearing pillage, despite the fact they were meant to be on the same side. Oh. Yeah, and Louis managed to buy off Edward, and the Treaty of Picony was signed that effectively ended the Hundred Years' War. Oh, yes, and he was given an, like an annuity or an allowance for mm. leaving. Yes, he was, which didn't go down very well because no. he had claimed a lot in taxes. Mm-hmm. And when people heard that he'd just taken some money and come home again, they were fuming, mm-hmm. as well they might be. Anyway, to cut a long story short, with one bound, Louis, the universal spider, was free as Charles of Burgundy was killed in the Battle of Nancy. Peace between France and England was bad news for Francois of Brittany. Edward IV became a tad more pushy in his attempts to get Jasper and Henry into his clutches. He sent the Bishop of Bath and Wells to tell Francois that Edward wanted Henry taken back to England so that he could marry one of the king's daughters, Elizabeth of York, thus uniting the two factions. You know, as if that's ever going to happen. No. 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 Luckily for Jasper and Henry, Francois wasn't born yesterday, and Henry refused to go back with the envoys. It's not at all sure that Henry had his eyes on the throne at this point. Because by rights, Henry Holland, the Duke of Exeter, had a greater claim. So I wonder if it was Edward's paranoia about Henry Tudor that actually put the idea into his head that it might even be doable. Possibly. I mean, if somebody's worrying that you're going to try and become king, you might suddenly think, well, if he's that worried... Maybe I could maybe become Maybe I've got a... King. Yeah. However, in 1476, Francois became ill, and maybe he didn't want the hassle anymore, but he agreed to send Henry back. Henry was handed over to the envoys from England and taken to Saint-Malo, where ships were waiting to take him back to England, and a very uncertain future. Maybe even no future at all. Yes, at this Mm. point. Yeah, and it's not unknown for people not to make it across the Channel. One of Francois's chief advisers, Jean de Kellenic, had been away from court by this time, but when he heard what Francois had done, he rushed back and pleaded with the Duke to change his mind. That most innocent imp, he said, to be torn to pieces by bloody butchers. I think imp makes something a different in these days, because <laughs> I've come across the word imp, <laughs> imp a few times. <laughs> not, not the way we'd use it now. No. Francois relented and sent Pierre Londay, more of him later, to get Henry back. Meanwhile, Henry had either been ill or feigned illness, so they had still not sailed. And Launday arrived just the ship, just as the ship. Launday arrived just as the. Sh- <laughs> I know, isn't arrived. that horrible? <laughs> <laughs> I was doing that so much. I was like, no, come on! I speak every day. <laughs> yes. This is my native language. Yes. Believe it or not. <laughs> Launday arrived just as the ships were due to sail. While Londe and the envoys were negotiating, Henry legged it and sought sanctuary in the cathedral, and the envoys were forced to go home without him. Back in England, Edward IV executed his brother, George, Duke of Clarence. But no time to talk about that. Oh yeah, lovely families. By 1480, Louis had managed to unify most of France, most, that is, apart from Brittany. There was now a bidding war between Edward IV of England and Louis XI of France to get Jasper and Henry, and they continued putting pressure on Francois. Louis sent large bags of doche, and Edward offered archers to guard Brittany's borders, so suddenly Francois was the most popular girl in the school. <laughs> then, quite suddenly, on the 3rd of April, 1483, Edward IV died. 
which was sad for Edward's family and friends, but great news for Henry and Jasper. Back home, Edward V succeeded to the throne briefly, then Uncle Richard took him and his brother into protective custody, from which they would never appear. Oh yes, it was very protective. They were never found again. Yes, he almost smothered them with kindness, didn't he? (laughs) (laughs) And he took the throne himself on the 6th of July, 1483. But we all know about that, and if we don't, we can listen to Rex Factor. Yes. Great episode. Or you can watch the Rex Factor, uh, the cartoon. Mm -hmm. Francois sent an envoy to Richard saying that France had for many years been demanding Henry and Jasper and was threatening Brittany with war unless Francois acquiesced. Brittany, Francois told Richard, probably fluttering his eyelashes, would not be able to hold out against Louis for long unless he got English help. If it were not forthcoming, he might just have to hand them over to Louis and Louis might support the Tudors if they were to, oh, I don't know, invade England. (laughs) I'm just saying is all is probably what he said. Hey, Henry, did you hear that? (laughs) You need to go to Louis and that invasion. (laughs) His demands to Richard were ridiculously high, maybe deliberately so. He may already have organised the fleet that was to put to sea on September the 1st under Jasper and Henry. And he may also have been planning that Henry should marry his daughter, Anne. So finally, the Tudors were going home and they were going to get their country back. Or for the first time, if you think about it, since he wasn't king yet. Richard had been on something of a killing spree and people who had been loyal to him were beginning to distance themselves. Even the Duke of Buckingham, who had been Richard's staunchest supporter. Probably feeling that his own life was in danger, Buckingham started to plot against Richard. But it seems more likely that Buckingham was in it for himself and not for Henry. He was the second most powerful man in the country. Why on earth would he fight to remove Richard, only to hand the crown over to a complete unknown? He was also the head of the Lancastrian and Beaufort family at this time. He was. He was. There's no possible reason why he should have backed Henry. No, not at all. He may have had good reason to get in quick, because Buckingham may have decided to rebel, because either he did kill the princes in the tower, or it was commonly thought that he had. Right. He could see that if Richard III were overthrown, they would probably come for him next. Yes. His only option was to get in first and put himself on the throne. Buckingham, Richard III and Henry Tudor were the only survivors of the House of Plantagenet. So, two big hitters then. And and Henry. Mm-hmm. As far as Henry is concerned, the murder of the princes is the best thing that could have happened. For I'm him. Sure did, I'm sure he didn't <laughs> think like that. <laughs> It turned people against Richard, and since there was really nobody else they could turn to except Buckingham, and he seems to have been heavily implicated in the murder himself, they turned to Henry. Henry's mum, Margaret Beaufort, was also fermenting her own plottage, as we heard in the last episode. She contacted Elizabeth Woodville and suggested that her boy, Henry, should marry the Woodville daughter, Elizabeth of York. So it seems as if some things are just meant to happen. So there are two major conspiracies bubbling away, and they were a mixture of York and Lancaster. They linked up and Buckingham decided that the rebellion should start on the 18th of October, which would coincide with the uprisings taking place across the southern counties. Margaret sent her son large sums of money so that everything was finally kicking off. Henry would be on that throne in no time.
It was a complete fiasco. <laughs> As they always bloody are. Aren't they? When does it ever go perfectly or even well? <laughs> Not once. The Southern rebellions kicked off far too early. Buckingham had gone over to Wales, where he had made himself thoroughly unpopular, so several Welsh leaders refused to follow him. The River Severn had burst its banks, so he couldn't get it back across, and it became so hated by his own troops, who were cold and hungry, that he ended up having to run away from them. He's betrayed too, Richard, and was beheaded on the 2nd of November, 1483. Oh, but come on, by the sounds of that, he was perfect king material for this time. <laughs> and then there were two. <laughs> Five ships sailed from Brittany, and 324 men were put at the disposal of Jasper and Henry, which doesn't sound like very many, and indeed isn't. They set off with high hopes, but the weather at sea was as bad as it had been for Buckingham on land, and a storm blew up, and Henry did not reach Poole in Dorset, and remember he was meant to be going to Wales, for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, if it hadn't done that, who knows what would have happened? Mm. He could have been captured or killed. Well, precisely. They saw armed men on the shore and learning that the rebellion had been a farce, they turned around and went back to Brittany. Only due to the storms, they landed in Normandy. What Henry was thinking at this time, you know, we can only speculate. He must have been so disappointed and and not a little embarrassed, I should think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It could hardly have gone worse. Well, then again, while this was kicking off, Jasper was invisible to history Presumably in this case, he spent much of the time hanging over the rail of the ship. But again, he's not mentioned in the records. He's the original invisible man. (laughs) (laughs) If there were a silver lining, it was that there was an exodus of discontents crossing the channel to Brittany in fear for their lives from Richard. When Henry and Jasper got back to Francois' court, they found the Marquis of Dorset, two Courtney Lords, Lord Wells, Sir John Bouchier, Sir Edward Woodville, Sir Robert Willoughby, Sir Charles Dobney, Sir John Cheney, Sir Richard Eggman, and Lionel Edward and Richard Woodville. Those are Elizabeth Woodville's brothers. So you can imagine them all hiding behind the sofa and leaping out as he came in. (laughs) Surprise! Surprise! (laughs) Oh, you guys, what are you like? Then many more started arriving, including many of Margaret Beaufort's and her current husband, Lord Stanley's, attendants. Which just goes to show that Lord Stanley knew a lot more than he let on, didn't he? Mm-hmm. All these exiles were quite a financial burden on poor Duke Francois, who seems to be quite remarkably accommodating. On Christmas Day, the exiles met in Reim Cathedral, where Henry promised to marry Elizabeth of York. But he might as well, because everyone's been going on about it long enough, haven't they? <laughs> It's interesting that Henry VII is praised for marrying his Elizabeth to bring about reconciliation between York and Lancaster, and yet Edward IV did the same thing and was maligned for it. Elizabeth Woodville's family had been staunch Lancastrians. By marrying her, Edward brought the whole Woodville clan, and there were, there were a lot of them, into the Yorkist fold, and yet he's always accused of having his brain in his britches and only marrying Elizabeth Woodville to get her into bed. But I don't see the difference. Could it be that just the fact that she was lowborn and she was... Quite possibly, and also the fact that the Tudors wrote a lot of history. Yes, exactly. Anyway, where is Jasper? Hmm. This feels like a Where's Waldo, but an entire audible Where's Waldo. Where'd he go this time? 
Again, the problem is that Polydore Virgil wrote the history of the exiles in Brittany and his remit was to romanticise Henry's time in exile. So I'm sure, you know, Jasper was busy, 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 but we don't hear about it. But he does pop up when he and Henry again ask Francois for help. But once bitten and all that, and Richard had been making friendly overtures to him, so he was not quite so keen to finance what could well be another fiasco. Mm-hmm. I mean, they all have been so far. And also he was ill again, and the kingdom was being looked after by Pierre Londay. Remember him? Vaguely. He was the nice. <laughs> he was that nice man who rushed to Saint Malo to get Henry back. Oh yes. Before he sailed to England. Well, you can imagine now that he's grown a little twirly moustache since then. He's become a fully-fledged, cloak-swirling baddie. <laughs> he had made himself unpopular, and Brittany had split into two factions. Launday decided the best bet lay with Richard III, and in mid-September he agreed to surrender Jasper and Henry in exchange for English protection of Brittany. Morton, the Bishop of Ely, who will play a big part in this season, heard about this. He was in exile in Flanders at the time, but he managed to get a warning to Henry. Jasper led a delegation of hand-picked men. He's, compl- he's in his element now. He's doing this whole Andy McNabb bit. They set off ostensibly to visit Francois, who's on the French border, but they go straight past and enter France. And Louis XI is dead by now, and his young son, Charles VIII, is on the throne. Henry left two days later with just five comrades to visit a friend in the nearby countryside. Five miles out of town, he changed into peasant clothes. Everybody's doing dress-up. <laughs> yes. They always do. It's the Charles II syndrome, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> he changed into peasant clothes and just rides like hell. And by the time Londay realises what's going on, they're over the border. And Francois is furious when he hears what Londay has done. He then allows all the other exiles to join Jasper and Henry in Paris. Although, in fact, he's probably glad to see the back of them because they're eating him out of house and home. These people. Yes. There's about 500 of them. Oh, my goodness. Charles VIII of France was keen for the overthrow of Richard because it just seems that nobody likes this man. But France is short of funds itself, so it couldn't be a lot of help. He did, however, give Henry permission to gather mercenaries. So everything's now starting to kick off. Jasper's hardly mentioned at this time, but he must have been in the thick of it. I mean, this is what he's been living for all these years. Yes, very much so. The Earl of Oxford arrives. It's more of his adventures and his own episode, because he's had quite an exciting time. Stanley, Henry's father-in-law, sent the money for the invasion, and I bet Richard didn't know about that. No. The French court now started raising troops. Richard was worried enough to start sending out warnings about what would happen if Henry got into power. The most cruel murders, slaughters, robberies and disherisons that ever were served in any christened royal. He was obviously riled and expected the invasion at every minute. Yeah, just front... don't look at what I've done. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. He frantically offered pardons to people, obviously not to Henry and Jasper, and he moved to Nottingham Castle to await events. On March the 16th, 1485, Anne Neville, Richard's wife, died aged just 28. Rumour spread that Richard had done away with her so that he could marry his niece, Elizabeth of York. Oh, yes, he even had to put out a statement. <laughs> It's her again. There was such an outcry yeah, that Richard was forced to issue in a statement denying his attention to mar- intention to marry her. Now, I'd heard this story before, and I'd assume that Richard was just a dirty old man that fancied his niece. But now it all makes perfect sense. If he married her, 
she'd no longer be available for Henry to marry mm-hmm. to unite the two warring factions as per part of the plan. Yes. And it now seems a sensible political tactic. But fortunately f- not for disgusting. Henry, everyone found it creepy and unpleasant and Richard was not able to go through with it. But you would have thought he'd have married her off to somebody else. But I got yes, a anybody. He was he was in negotiations with that, but... You know, but it's also then he's raising up somebody else to have royal blood. Yeah, so that's true. Yeah, put her in a convent. Put them all in a convent. <laughs> Safest. You can get out of a convent, though, can't you? Yes, you can. Henry and Jasper now moved to Rouen and started preparing a fleet for the invasion. It was at this point that Henry started signing himself with an H as if he was already king, which was a bit naughty because he really isn't. <laughs> <laughs> not even close no as the time of the invasion got closer the bards got grew bolder and were openly praising Jasper and Henry they've obviously forgotten about this Herbert bloke haven't they at this point Richard seems to have done a spectacularly stupid thing uh oh <laughs> he heard which a prophecy which one if you think about it it's one spectacularly stupid thing after another this is just another one yeah, it's quite a minor spectacularly stupid thing compared to some, but he'd heard of a prophecy that his enemy would land at Milford. So he sent his fleet off Seriously? to South to Southampton, assuming that the Milford in question was the small village in Hampshire of that name. He made his battle plans based on a prophecy. Well, yeah. Oh god. <laughs> but, but the prophecy the prophecy was right. But obviously it was Milford Haven in Pembrokeshire. <laughs> Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So at sunset on the 7th of August, Henry sailed into Milford Sound. Richard underestimated the threat and spent the day hunting in Nottingham. So Henry has finally touched, oh, I nearly said English soil, British soil, shall we say, Welsh soil. Even in exile with nothing to offer his followers, Jasper had somehow kept the Lancastrian cause alive in the Welsh counties. But Richard, who had foreseen this problem, had put a lot of effort into controlling South Wales. Therefore, Jasper, Henry and Chums marched north to where they knew they had support. And unfortunately, there's there's very little information about what Jasper was up to. But he was presumably networking like the clappers, you know, digging up all his old friends and supporters. But we hear nothing of it at all, I'm afraid. But it's an exciting story of them marching up through Wales, collecting people as they went some people had been seemingly loyal to Richard, but they were very willing to go over to Henry. Yeah. Or just to step back. The Stanleys controlled much of North North Wales. Sir William Stanley was Richard's chief lieutenant in North Wales, and therefore presumably completely trusted. But Henry had been in touch with the Stanleys before he set sail. But lack of time means I'm, you know, I'm going to have to gloss over this bit, and, but we'll come across it in the Stanleys episode. Okay. So I'm just I'm just going to pick up Henry and his followers by their coat collars and plonk them down near Bosworth Field. <laughs> so we're missing quite a, quite a chunk there. But anyway, I could go into a lot of detail about the Battle of Bosworth, although it's poorly recorded and I just don't have the time. No. Listen to Rex Factor. Yes. Listen to Rex Factor's Henry VII episode, please. We know that it was over quickly. Just two hours. Although I bet it didn't feel that quick of you in the thick of it. And we know that although Richard had by far the bigger army, that's 20,000 men to Henry's 5,000, although reports vary hugely, not all of them fought. And of those that did, not only, not all of them fought for Richard. 
and it's also known that the Earl of Oxford headed Henry's army and that Jasper, we know where he was, on this left in Sir John Savage's division. I think that's the only reason why this survived or why they won is because Jasper wasn't leading the army the Earl of Oxford was. <laughs> He's probably sneaking off in disguise this very moment. <laughs> Just before the battle, Richard became suspicious of the Stanleys and, and this shows a remarkable lack of man management, ordered the beheading of Lord Stanley's son, Lord Strange, whom he was holding as hostage, which is a Ostrich? Curious... <laughs> <laughs> I like ostrich. As an ostrich. <laughs> this, is going... <laughs> this is going to be the highlight aisle. Just before the battle, Richard became suspicious of the Stanleys and and this shows a remarkable lack of man management, ordered the beheading of Lord Stanley's son, Lord Strange, whom he was holding as hostage. A curious way to ensure someone's loyalty. Stanley replied, he had other sons. Oh my goodness. Since the execution did not actually take place, Richard's men preferring to see which way the wind was blowing before they committed themselves, I should imagine that when Stanley and his son were eventually reunited, there was a certain amount of awkwardness. Yes. You said what? (laughs) (laughs) I will never forgive you, Father. (laughs) Anyway, if the Stanleys had been wavering at this point, surely the threat of the execution of the son would have pushed them towards Henry. And Henry, too, was unsure of them and sent the messages asking them to confirm their allegiance, but their reply was evasive, and both the Stanley armies stayed put until the last moment. You can't blame them. Again, things have gone back and forth so often. Let's just wait and act on whoever's going to win. I think their policy is very, very sensible. Mm-hmm. Richard spotted Henry with a small force of soldiers around him. Famously, Richard spurred his horse and headed for Henry. It's possible that Richard assumed that Northumberland would follow him. He didn't. And we can only wonder at Richard's thoughts when he looked over his shoulder and saw Northumberland sitting on his horse, giving him a little ironic wave. <laughs> Thumbs up! Good luck! <laughs> Northumberland's army remained impassive until it was all over, and then they shrugged, turned and headed for home. And at this point, the Stanleys joined the battle. They swept down and surrounded Richard, who cried, Treason, treason, as well he may, because that's precisely what it was. Then Richard was slain by a Welsh halberdier. Stanley found the crown under the Thorthorn bush and placed it on Henry's head there and then in the field. And it's not known what Henry said to Stanley, probably something like, You took your bloody time. <laughs> There was one noble who escaped from Bosworth, a certain John de la Pole, Earl of Lincoln, and he yeah. fled to the court of Margaret of Burgundy, where he was later joined by a young man, a young man who was instructed by a priest to impersonate Edward Plantagenet, Earl of Warwick, a young man by the name of Lambert Simnel. But more of that in future episodes, but not next episode. Is that right? Not in the next episode. Not next episode. No, we will be doing John de la Pole's father. Yes. No, we've had quite a lot of confu- well, I say confused emails backwards and forwards. Confused on my part. <laughs> yes. We, we, we will be him. covering both of them because <laughs> yes. they, they take very different actions during the time of Henry VII. Yeah. No, I was thrown. <laughs> Henry then entered London, dressed from head to toe in clothes his mum had bought him for the occasion. Oh, and- thanks, mum. <laughs> Any mum would do the same. And Henry and Margaret were reunited for the first time in 14 years. There was little or no retaliation by Henry after Bosworth. He gave Yorkists offices of state. He pardoned people for treason against Henry VI. And yet his entry into London on the 28th of August was not without controversy. 
Sweating sickness broke out in the capital and was blamed on Henry and his troops. He immediately paid them off and sent home his French and Scottish mercenaries, but several thousand people died and it was seen as inauspicious for the reign ahead. Henry was crowned Henricus Sept Rex Angliae et Franciae et Dominus Hiberniae. Henry VII, King of England and France and Lord of Ireland, which is pushing it a bit. Just a little. <laughs> right, now everything goes swimmingly for Jasper, as you might imagine. But that's never as interesting as things going badly. No, it isn't, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I had a friend who would always tell me about her holidays and they'd always end up, so on the whole, we had a lovely time. And you think, I don't care. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the deli belly? Where are the shark bites? You know, I don't give a damn about your lovely holiday. I sort of, I'm coming to the view of Jasper kind of like Mr. Bean, clumsy and everything goes wrong for him, but it still comes out well in the end. Yeah, and quite lovable. Yes. <laughs> anyway, we have to plod on to the end of Jasper's life, so there we go. He was made Duke of Bedford. He got his title of Earl of Pembroke back, although it took a little longer to get his privileges that went with it. Since been and he never stopped using people. it. No, that's true. <laughs> he had it for real this time. But Henry had made that a priority, so he's obviously grateful to his old uncle. In 1485, at the age of 50, Jasper married Catherine Woodville, Buckingham's widow. You know, they, they get around these Woodville girls, don't they? Yeah. She was 27 and already had four children. And he's in his 50s. He's in his 50s, yeah. He's oh, 50. happy day for him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Birthday and Christmas. <laughs> Like Henry's forthcoming marriage, Jasper's alliance also linked York and Lancaster. They did not have any children, but it's thought that Jasper had two illegitimate daughters, one of whom, here, brace yourself for a nice bit of It's a Small World Tudor style, okay? Okay. One of whom was Joan Tudor, born around 1479, who went on to marry William Ap Yevon Williams. Their okay. son, Morgan Ap Williams, married Catherine, or Cat Cromwell, Older sister of Thomas Cromwell. Really? The one, the one who shelters him from his drunken father at the beginning of Wolf Hall. Oh my goodness. Moreover, Jasper's other daughter, Helen, or Ellen, married a William Gardner, a cloth merchant, and they had a son, Stephen. Stephen Gardner. Or Mark Gatiss in Wolf Hall. But neither of these girls is mentioned in Jasper's will. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> mm. That's kind. Yeah. Jasper stayed close to Henry for the first few years of kingship as Privy Councillor. At Elizabeth of York's coronation, Jasper was made High Steward and bore her crown at the ceremony, where, incidentally, the pressure of those eager to see the spectacles led to several deaths among the spectators. Oh. I can't... Like, why would you... I'm assuming that's from trampling. I would have thought so, being pushed up against barriers and things, yeah. Uh. Henry rewarded Jasper with the lordship of Sudley in Gloucestershire, where he and Catherine spent much of their time. Yeah, and why not? It's a lovely place. From March 1485 to November 1486, he was Lord Lieutenant of Ireland, but he doesn't seem to have gone there. He also acted as deputy for Henry's son, Arthur, in Wales. In 1486, he confronted an uprising and by offering pardons to all those who would put down their weapons, prevented bloodshed. Later, Henry seems to have preferred the services of other men, so maybe Jasper was great to have around in times of danger and daring do, but not quite so good at the boring day-to-day -day admin. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound Either that or maybe he wanted to retire. I mean, he, ah, be sure he was getting on in his he was 60s. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, by then he's 65, which is a good age for that time. That's a very good age for that time. He seemed to know he was dying as he wrote his will just a few days before his death. He gave bequests to various religious houses and provisos for the welfare of his soul, including asking that four priests sing perpetually, which presumably means that they or their ancestors are still at it, I suppose, if it's perpetual. Yeah. The funeral took place at Canesham Abbey near Bristol. In the dissolution of the monasteries, Henry VIII did not spare the effigy of his great-uncle Jasper or the abbey, which was destroyed. So without Jasper and his tenacity and loyalty, there would have been no Tudor dynasty. Just two months after Jasper's death, Catherine married again. Two months. Two months. Oh, she loved him dearly. She did. Richard Wingfield, who was 12 years her junior. And they oh, were married. good for her. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they were married. I just make him sound a bit like the pool boy, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> they were married without royal licence, a misdemeanour that cost them £2,000. But we've no idea of the nature of the relationship between Jasper and Catherine. It may, may well have just been political, forged greater links between Yorkist and Lancastrian. So maybe this time, you know, sick of being used as a pawn, Catherine went for a love match. We don't know. Or a lust match. <laughs> so if you'd like to see Jasper, you can. Oh. Yeah, go to Thornbury Castle, which is now a hotel and restaurant. But incidentally, you'll have to start saving. I looked it up, and for one night for two people in August, it was 479 quid. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And is he... I'm, I'm hoping he's not in the restaurant portion of this building. <laughs> no, he's not. It looks pretty amazing. It might be worth it, because Jasper apparently haunts the offices on the first floor. Ooh. Yeah, incensed by the presence of women there, as that floor had been designated a gentleman only in his day. Oh. <laughs> Apparently, what he, do, what he does, he turns the photocopier on and off and pushes objects off the shelves, which seems a bit of a come down, really. Yes. <laughs> Apparently, they enjoyed a quieter time when the man was working in the office. So, yeah, maybe it was his wife's rapid remarriage that turned Jasper into Jasper the misogynistic ghost. Oh. Anyway, that's all, that's all I've got to say about Jasper. So now it's time to rate him according to our categories. Yes. And fibbly. Well, what was he doing on all those trips to Ireland, Scotland and France? I mean, they weren't holidays. We don't know all the details. In fact, we don't know any of the details, but I think we can safely assume that he was wheeling and dealing on behalf of Queen Margaret and acting the part of a spy or facilitator, trying to drum up cash and troops. And the fact that there's no paper trail implies that it was all secret and below the counter. Even though, you know, as I've said, there was little to show for it in the end. I mean, he didn't, ha he didn't get Irish troops, but, um, you know, he was there. He was intriguing. I think he lived for intrigue. Yeah, but it doesn't sound... Well, no, we don't know about if he was good at the intrigue. We just know he wasn't very good at leading armies. Yeah, he did a lot of intrigue. Yeah, whether he's successful at uh -huh. it, it's, not, it's neither here nor there, I suppose. He loved doing it. It wasn't the malicious sort of behind-the-fan type intrigue of later Tudor courts. It was more straightforward. I mean, it would be fascinating to know what he was able to offer potential investors because I can't see he had much to bargain for when all he had to offer was Henry VI. Yeah, but he still managed to get people. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it's a bit different when he had Henry VII as a bargaining chip. Yes. But, um, we know that Margaret of Anjou was happy to offer up things that weren't hers, like Berwick and Calais. <laughs> but I think, he, I think he was a very intriguing person. I don't know what sort of score you were thinking of giving him, but... Well, he did intrigue his entire life. Yes. I mean, up until Henry became king. I mean, he was either 
He spent all his time trying to raise troops. The fact that he raised troops and by the time he, his, him and his troops got there, the war was over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm, we don't know enough about him for me to be able to give him a high score, but we obviously know that he was intriguing, so I think I'd probably give him a five just because we don't have enough detail. All right, you're going much lower than I was thinking of a seven Ooh. because, yeah, we don't have detail, but what else was he doing? Yeah, and I guess you're right. He did survive, which is huge. He he fought the first battle and the last battle of the, the War of the Roses. Okay. I don't know. I'm going for I'm going for seven because he... I'll bring mine up to a six. Okay. Yeah, I. He didn't really have anything else to do in life, did he? Apart no. from entry. Antiperistasis. Well, the man was a human yo-yo, really, wasn't he? I mean, if, if, <laughs> if we were to draw a flowchart of his life, it would just be peaks and troughs. He, get, he has stuff, it's taken away, he gets it back, it's taken away, he gets it back. His mother had been queen and he ended up uncle to a king, so it would appear that he started and ended up in the same place. But he gets to that point with so many ups and downs in between, doesn't he? I mean, Yes, and he was attainted, so he lost mm. absolutely everything at one point. He's not like Margaret Beaufort, who sort of by skill managed to hang on to all her stuff. No, he lost it. Twice. Mm-hmm. So... I, I think I'd have to give him a nine. Hmm. I've gone for eight. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I think a ten would be from the gutter to a king or from the king to the gutter. Yes. But, I mean, he's he's all over the place. Yes, he is. Okay, so that's a 17 for antiperistasis, and I guess we should say that that was a 13 for amphiboly. Martyrdom. Well, it could be said he had to do what he did to get his lands and titles back, which is pragmatism rather than martyrdom. I don't know. I think I'd like to argue back to martyrdom. Well, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here, really, yeah. but yes. <laughs> I mean, I see him as being willing to... There were so many other families that gave up and gave in and Edward gave them back their lands and their titles. He could have attempted to do that and he never did. Not once. Mm. No, he didn't. I mean, it was a different matter when Richard III was on the throne rather than Edward because mm -hmm. people hated Richard. Yeah, but the majority of the time was during Edward IV. Yeah. But the trouble is, if you're following a particular person like Jasper, it's hard not to see his friends as your friends and his enemies as your enemies. But Edward IV was a better king than Henry VI. Much better. For the good of the country, should Jasper have left well alone? I think so. <laughs> and once Edward had been crowned, Wales would have been a peaceful place, but for Jasper. Yes. And was it good for Henry VI? I mean, he was an unsatisfactory king through no fault of his own. It would have surely been so much kinder and better for his mental health for him to have been allowed to walk away and live quietly away from court. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't have been horribly murdered, for one thing. But Margaret and Jasper wouldn't let him. They kept dragging the poor bloke Tra back. Yes. So, yeah, at that point, was he doing it for himself or was he doing it for Henry VI? Because I can't see Henry VI saying, I want to be king, I need to be king. <laughs> no, I'm sure he was saying, just leave me alone. Yeah. And Jasper and Margaret were saying, no, no, come on, spit spot, spit spot. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. We're not done yet. I don't, that's... So I'm really torn with this one. I've thought about it, you know, I've read a lot about Jasper and I'm, I'm completely torn because I think he was doing it for the right motive, but was what he was doing good for anybody? It really... No. I mean, eventually, eventually you've got 
Heimlich yeah, but only because the other people took themselves out, not because yeah. he did it. <laughs> so I don't know. That's right on the fence. I'd say I'd have to I'd have to go with a five. I went with a five which was yeah. precisely that reason. I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, you feel I mean he's obviously willing to stick with his his point of view, but at the same time, maybe not for the best of reasons. Because he actually said that he didn't think Henry the Sixth was the man for the job, really. He knew that he wasn't up to it. Yeah. So why was he keep pushing keep pushing him? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, was it loyalty or necessity? I think we'll never know. So, yeah, five. I agree. So that's a ten for martyrdom. Yeah, so, sorry, uh, Jasper. I think I like him because I had an old ginger tom called Jasper. I'm just feeling... <laughs> <laughs> In my mind, he's an old ginger tom. Aww. <laughs> well, as we said last time, there are different ways to view posterity. I mean, he mm-hmm. got Henry VII the crown. So from our perspective, we can see that the extraordinary story of the 16th century wouldn't have happened if Jasper had not got a Tudor onto the English throne. Yes, very true. From that respect, his claim to posterity is pretty strong. But should we look at history like that? I mean, as if it were all inevitable. If it hadn't been a Tudor, it would have been somebody else. And we'd be doing a podcast about the fascinating world of the de la Poles or the Nevilles or somebody else. Mm-hmm. But we could look at posterity in a different way. Has anybody heard of Jasper Tudor? I mean, I asked my partner and he said, but for the fact I've been wittering on about him for the last two weeks, he'd never heard of Jasper Tudor. And I don't think he was alone in that. No, my husband just gives me a blank look. <laughs> so, and we don't have any records of him uh, founding anything. No colleges, no religious houses, no we nothing. Have, we hear very little about him. He's, he's such a nebulous figure. I'll give him a one for blundering around and getting Henry <laughs> on the throne by being there. Ooh, that seems quite cruel. <laughs> You've oh, given me nothing. <laughs> poor old Jasper. Okay, how about this? We'll give him, I'll give him a three because he did manage to get Henry out of England and keep him safe. Yes. Yeah, I'm going for the second way of looking at it, and I'm marking him quite low. Not quite as low as you are, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think I don't think he's a big name in history, although obviously after this podcast, you know, he'll become more so. I've given him a four. A four. So you've given him a three, a four, just a seven. Sorry. Flaunt a bleeding flaunt. We have a stained glass window at the entrance hall of Cardiff Castle. And I couldn't find out much information about it, so I wrote to Cardiff Castle, and a curator called Erfil Ogwen Parry very kindly sent me lots of information. It's one of eight images, the others being Henry VIII, Jane Seymour, Anne Neville, Richard III, Elizabeth of York, Henry VII, and Jasper's wife, Catherine Woodville. And, I don't know, perhaps, can you describe it? Okay, so he is, well, I'm guessing, looking to the right, it says his name above it, he appears to have the England coat of arms on his chest. Mm. His He's completely in armor, except he looks like he's wearing a sort of crown instead of any sort of helmet. Mm. He is holding a sword, and it is unsheathed. Yes. Which presumably means he's prepared to use it. Yes. The mm. badge on his, on his um, I guess, cloak... It looks like a cross, a white white background with a red cross in a circle. I yeah, he's 
well, that's at the England flag, but um, yeah, he wears a tabard over his armour, displaying the arms granted to him by Henry VI. Ah. So it's courtly France and England with a border azure, charged mm-hmm. with gold martlets. Now, a martlet is, in English heraldry, is a mythical bird without feet, which never roosts and is continually oh. on the wing, which seems very apt for Jasper. Because that's yes. precisely what he... I mean, he had feet, but he didn't stop much, did he? No, he didn't. And around his shoulders, he wears a mantle embroidered with the Order of the Garter. Ah, oh, that's what that that's, is. Yeah. So this would be a wonderful historical image, but for one tiny, tiny little thing. It was made in 1932. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we won't be using this to actually represent him. <laughs> no, obviously a certain amount of artistic license must be must be used. But it seems to be teeming with information about the man. But I mean, yes. it's just 430 years too late, which yes. is a pity. The other painting we have, which is believed to be Jasper, shows a rather insipid man with a sort of half smile on his face, doesn't it? He's got yes. a nice, nice face. But it's not unlike the picture of Henry VI, who has that same hesitant look. Yes, it is very much like that. Yeah, it seems it seems totally appropriate for Henry's character. It just doesn't seem quite right for Jasper's. But in, instead of staring off into space, though, he looks more like he's actually focused on something. But lovely jeweled collar. Could you imagine how expensive that would be? Yeah. Or is that a collar of office? I know at that time they did have those collars that went almost over their shoulders and quite low, and that was a badge of office. But I don't. He know did have quite a lot of office, quite mm-hmm. a lot of offices. I just can't marry up with the picture of Jasper. I've come to know though. I don't know what you feel about scoring him on that. He's very average. Yeah, I'm not getting much from him. No, and I don't see any symbolism at all in that. It's just a portrait. Hmm. But I don't think there was so much symbolism in the early ones, was there? I mean, it... Yeah. Well, Margaret had quite a bit. Her badges were everywhere. Hmm. So, what do you reckon? I think we have a portrait of him, which is not going to be the case for everybody, so he needs <laughs> to get a score. Yes. Um... I think I'd have to score him right down the middle because you don't get a feel for him at all. He's got the general hairstyle of the time. He's got the Mm -hmm. general fashion of the time. He's got the general facial expression of the time. The time, yeah. So I think a five. I thought five, yeah. I mean, it looks nice. Yes. But, yeah, insipid. Mm Mm-hmm. So. That will be a five. Five in total for Flaunt Flaunt. Okay. I think that's all of them, yep. 52. Oh, that's not so much, is it? No. Well, it's not, not so much as last week. I mean, that's all we got to go on. Yes. Really, it? <laughs> it may show up to be more than others. That's <laughs> It may sure. well. It may well. So now I, I think the nice gentleman should ask the question. Are they too delicious or what? So what do you reckon? I can't. You can't? Oh, I can't. I don't think I can. We we got nothing. He didn't win a single battle that he fought. Not one. <laughs> they all went horrendously for him. He I'm lost. rather glad you said not because <laughs> I would have said yes, but only because I've got to know him. I've read so many books about him. I just got to know him and like him. And Although, as I said, I don't. 
I don't know him. <laughs> like I said, I feel like he's the Mr. Bean of the Tudor era. <laughs> the only reason he got anywhere was because of the people he was with, not because of himself. Yeah. Oh, this seems very cruel, doesn't it? I know, doesn't it? <laughs> All of a sudden it feels like, oh, do they feel this way when everybody else does this? He took a lot of risks. Admittedly, very few of them paid off. <laughs> Almost none of them paid <laughs> Apart off. Apart from the fact he wasn't killed. But does he get the Tudorlicious because he didn't die? Ah. <laughs> I just, I can't. Yeah, she... I mean, he spent so much time flitting between France and Brittany and Ireland and Scotland, but he didn't manage to drum up a lot of support. And that which he was drummed up was yeah. mainly due to Margaret of Anjou, wasn't it? Yeah. Well... Oh. And I'm quite, I'm sort of quite glad because I would have given it to him, but I don't think he deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too bad. But Jasper, you do not get the Tudorlicious. I think it's quite apt that the information we have on him is surrounded in mystery. I, I think that's the way he'd have wanted it, really. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, he seems like somebody who at one point would have really liked just a quiet life. <laughs> I don't know. I got the impression that he was reveling in this. The, one, oh. of the reason, one of the reasons that he didn't give up was because he'd have been bored sick at home. Probably. Which is probably why Henry said, go on, off you go. You've got a new wife. You've got lots of places to be. Look, leave this to me now. Really? And I got the idea it was more of you're bungling, you keep goofing up. <laughs> Please leave. I love you, but really. <laughs> oh, maybe that was it. Yes, you know, I was just—I was just seeing him as being, you know, the sort of person who couldn't walk through a door. He'd have to swing on a rope and smash through the window. <laughs> right. And Henry was just thinking, "Oh, look, Uncle, please just let me get on with it now." <laughs> oh, well, we've got completely different views of him, but now I think you're probably right. Ah. Oh. Poor Jasper. Oh, but, but no. Okay. <laughs> no. Okay, so now we need to pull Lucy's next victim. Ooh. Go into my little box here. Mm -hmm. And she has pulled. Ooh. <laughs> Edward Plantagenet, 17th Earl of Warwick. Oh dear! Poor little <laughs> chap. Be a long one. <laughs> That's going to be a sad one. Oh. Oh, no laughs there. Oh, you never know. Maybe he was a very gentle man on the inside. No, it's the little bloke, it, not the uh, kingmaker. Oh, oh right, you're right. Oh no. No, oh, it's the sad one. It's the poor little guy. Yes, because I actually thought. The, the killmaker, killmaker, kingmaker. kingmaker. <laughs> Fascinating man, but he died too early. We couldn't do him, but um, that's okay. Yeah, that's, that's okay. That's, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. I'm not sure how much there will be to show the outside world because he's he didn't see a lot of the outside world, no, did he? No, he didn't. But we're giving too much away. <laughs> so that's the end of our episode on Jasper Tudor. We hope you've enjoyed it and will join us for the next episode on John de la Pole. Thank you for listening. You can find details of the podcast on Tudorifarastarwordpress.com Email Tudor
In the meantime... Affliction may one day smile again. Until then, sit thee down, sorrow. Adieu, Valor. Rust, rapier. Be still, drum. For your manager is in love. Goodbye. Goodbye. Jasper Tudor back in Pembroke. Aged Codmore, he was on the French shore and loose Coalfield too. And during the Battle of Barnet, he was far from view. At Mortimer Cross, he was the leader of the men, but sadly they were routed. He's on the run again. Owen was captured and hardly enraptured, and then he lost his head. And Jasper legged it out of there, away he sped. They seek him here, they seek him there, but never can they find. That damned elusive Tudor leaves them far behind. They search for Jasper, but he can run faster, he's far beyond the sea. Setting sail for France, but accidentally lands in Brittany. They seek him here, they seek him there, he's a master of disguise. He sneaks across the water right beneath their eyes. They search for Jasper, the house of Lancaster, but never is he caught. With his usual flair, he'll be elsewhere. When there's a battle to be fought